Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. Another great episode coming at you tonight. Tonight we are talking about the 2019 inductees to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Five people were nominated into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. We'll discuss those who was left on the outside looking in and who could be in next year. Also, Rob Kaufman, head of the Race Team Alliance, better known as the RTA. Uh, he made a lot of headlines this week with a tweet about the charter system of NASCAR. We'll We'll dive into that a little bit, talk about the positives and negatives of the chartering system, if there's anything to do, plus about what they can do to improve the business model, and we'll preview the Coca-Cola 600, the best weekend in racing coming up on Memorial Day weekend, Monaco Grand Prix on, in the morning on Sunday, the Indianapolis 500 in the afternoon, and then, of course, the Coca-Cola 600 from Charlotte Motor Speed. Okay. Anytime you can call that number and we'll take your phone call. First, John, it was the Hall of Fame today. Uh, five new members announced today for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And we'll start off with Jeff Gordon. Got 96% of the votes. Um, this man, you know, there's about I'd, six NASCAR drivers that would, if you went to a random Joe and said, maybe Matt NASCAR. at all was one of the best. I think we're having some sort of technical difficulties with Clayton right now, uh, but let's look at the Hall of Famers as they were uh, announced today. Like you, Clayton started off, Jeff Gordon with 96% of the vote. Now, the one thing I want to know is who are the 4% of idiots who did not vote for Jeff Gordon? They automatically should lose their voting privileges. This generation Jeff Gordon did more for the sport. Nobody has won more in this generation. He won more races. Granted, Jimmy Johnson won more titles, and whenever he comes in seven times, if he doesn't get 100%, again, whoever votes against him should have their votes taken away. Jack Roush was 70%. Roger Penske, 68 The late Davey Allison was 63 And Alan Kowicki at 46% of the vote. Five people get in the NASCAR Hall of Fame every year. Uh, the next top vote-getters, the late Buddy Baker, Herschel McGriff, Waddell Wilson. And other nominees were Red Farmer, Ray Fox, Harry Gant, Joe Gibbs, John Holman, Harry Hyde, Bobby Labonte, Ralph Moody, Larry Phillips, Ricky Rudd, Kirk Shelmerdine, Mike Stefanik. Those were the other nominees. So, uh, let's look at the way they started off. Jeff Gordon, 96% of the vote. Nobody has won more races outside of David Pearson, Richard Petty, than Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon is number three on the all-time win list, and he is not a 100% Hall of Famer. Dare whoever, I hope whoever voted against him makes their vote public so we can have a flogging for 24 straight hours tomorrow on NASCAR radio. And let's hope we have Clayton back and Clayton. What do you think about the 4% of idiots who did not vote for Jeff Gordon as a hall of famer? 
all happens every year, even in baseball, I think, that there's this certain group of writers or media members or something like that where they refuse to vote for somebody on the first ballot. On the first ballot. I think it was Tom Seaver got 98% of the vote in Major League Baseball because there was that those three or four writers who refused to Nobody's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, if Jeff Gordon's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, I don't know who is. I mean, every, you can argue until you're blue in the face, say, well, he drove Hendrick Motorsports cars his entire career. Dale Earnhardt Jr. drove Hendrick Motorsports cars for the last 11 years of his career and won nine races there. Uh, Jeff Gordon's had numerous cruises there. He won 93 races in the modern era, more than anybody in the modern era. Uh, the guy won four championships, built Hendrick Motorsports really took them to the next level. They were a very good race team when he got there. I'm not trying to say they weren't, but it was until Jeff Gordon got there where they really started to take off. Um, and, and Jeff was a big part of that. And now Jimmy Johnson has, has extended that. Um, but this guy, I mean, anybody doesn't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, is, is ridiculous. But, you know, then you had some people a bunch of years ago arguing about Mark Martin not being in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, you know, you just can't figure some people out. But, Absolutely, Jeff Gordon belongs in. He's, he's uh, a first ballot Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I don't even know who, why you would even think he doesn't belong in. Uh, the only other thing I can think of is you think it's too early. I mean, the guy just got out of a race car two years ago. But, you know, the rules are rules, and, and it might be a dumb rule. Absolutely. You might say, well, that's a really stupid rule. And I agree with you. It, it is a stupid rule. But um, that shouldn't neglect Gordon. That shouldn't take away from Jeff Gordon and the fact that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. 93 wins. Third all-time to David Pearson and Richard Petty. He changed the way the sport was viewed. Uh, If you look at it, NASCAR, before Jeff Gordon, was the hillbilly southern sport. And when Jeff Gordon came in, clean-cut, Midwest-slash-California kid, marketable, TV loved him. He changed the way... NASCAR was viewed in the big picture. It wasn't like Joe, I mean, it wasn't just cigarettes and beer and uh, auto parts on the car. Jeff Gordon brought DuPont, a chemical and paint company, a big fortune. I mean, they're not just a fortune 500 company. DuPont was like a fortune five company whenever they first came in. And you've got a, a sponsor like that who came with Jeff Gordon and he won with Ray Evernham. He won with Robbie Loomis. He won with uh, Alan Gustafson. He won with Steve Letarte. Jeff Gordon, without a doubt, should be a 100% Hall of Famer. And I, I pulled against him all the time. I hated seeing Jeff Gordon win because I was a big fan of the orange number 20 and the red and black number 14. Anytime Jeff Gordon win, won, I was ticked off. But... um. It's going to it's gonna be – I mean, there's nobody who should be a 100% Hall of Famer if Jeff Gordon isn't. Jeff Gordon, Richard Petty, David Pearson, Dale Earnhardt, Jimmy Johnson, whenever he comes in. That's your five that would be on Mount Rushmore if you put it up. You know, it was funny because I heard on, on NASCAR Radio somebody brought up a good point. Was, I think it was Brad Gilly said something about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame takes songs – there's songs that are inducted to the Hall of Fame, not exactly bands. You know, there's some songs that, that go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he's like, they should take race cars. And if you took race cars, I totally think that number 24, DuPont, 
Rainbow Warrior, the Rainbow Car would totally go into the NASCAR Hall of Fame as one of the most iconic cars of all time. I mean, it was in his heyday. I mean, from 1994 really to about 2004. I mean, the guy just was unbelievable, and he was still very, very good uh, from 2005 until he retired after the 2015 season. But man, that first part of the year with with him and and that 24 car. Uh, it was unbelievable, and he still probably could have won a couple more championships. I think he had a little bit of an old-school mentality. I think the only thing that hurt Jeff Gordon at the end of his career, if there was one little flaw you could say about him at the end of his career, it was Jeff kind of got beat on double-file restarts there at the end of his career, and that really hurt him. It cost him a lot of wins. I think maybe even cost him a couple of championships if you look at it that way, um, where you know he didn't grow up in an era where he had double-file restarts. He grew up and he started driving and came up in an era where – you know, we had the single file starts with the uh, lead lap cars to the right and the lap down cars to the left, and lap down cars usually gave you a break there uh, if you got past them on the first lap. So um, I just think it was a different era, and it, had he come up in this era, he would be a lot better uh, on restarts and stuff like that if there was one fall about Jeff Gordon. But, you know, he did it, like you said, he did it. He changed the culture of NASCAR. It was a southern sport. Uh, you know, he did it in a, in – really Earnhardt fans' face. I mean, this was a guy who Earnhardt fans loved to make fun of. You know, I mean, how many shirts did I see growing up, you know, with uh, – or how many bumper stickers did I see growing up with that little tiny guy with a three on, peeing on 24, or I hate Jeff Gordon or Jeff Gordon's a crybaby shirts. Just stuff like that. Um, and he, he lived through it all and he won through it all. And, uh, you know, and the Intimidator got a lot of people, but he never really – once Jeff Gordon got there, uh, his championship started, stopped coming in bunches, that's for sure. Roger Penske's next, John. Uh, here's a guy who um, who started his NASCAR career a little later, a lot later than he started his open wheel career. Uh, Rusty Wallace started with that team in 1991, and uh, you know it was Don Miller that ran that team at first. Penske really got hit in hand, heads, you know, every full bore into the team right before the 1993 season, and Rusty went on to win 10 races. Uh, and that two car has been an iconic car, has been one of the best cars in NASCAR since, you know, uh, Rusty was in it in 92, 93. Um, it's, it's been an unbelievable race car. He got Kozlowski winning the championship for him. Rusty was never able to get a championship for Roger Penske. Um, but this is a guy who really, especially in the back half of this, uh, in his NASCAR life here, has really come on. He's got two great, three great young drivers right now with Kozlowski, Logano, and Blaney. Kozlowski, uh, like I said, has got a championship. I expect Logano to get one. I expect Polanyi to get one down the road. Uh, his team right now is as about as solid as it as it's ever been. Uh, but when you think about that two car, the Miller like the Miller Genuine Draft and the Miller Light car with Rusty Wallace in it, uh, that's one of the most iconic cars in NASCAR. Um, Rusty won a ton of races in that car and was really one of the best short tracks. So I, I think when you think of Roger Penske in NASCAR, you have to think about Rusty Wallace in that two car. Oh, yeah, you do, but also when you think about Roger Penske and NASCAR, and a lot of people forget about it, he went full-time with Rusty Wallace and stayed uh, whenever they, he came back in the 90s. But Roger Penske's been in and out of NASCAR since back in the 70s. Mark Donahue ran in NASCAR. He ran the AMC Pacer in NASCAR, the number 16, red, white, and blue AMC Pacer. Uh, Bobby Allison drove for Roger Penske. So, I mean, Roger Penske's been in and out of the sport, but he got there consistently in the 90s. And I'll tell you, Roger Penske, 
if it has four wheels and you can put an engine on it, and if he owns it, you got a shot at winning. What he's done in IndyCar is unbelievable. There's nobody who's ever come close to IndyCar. Roger Penske has not had the success in NASCAR that he had in IndyCar. And I look at it, when you look at the car owners who were up, you had Jack Roush, you have Roger Penske, you have Joe Gibbs. I know Roger Penske's length in the sport has been longer than Joe Gibbs, but Joe Gibbs has won more races. Joe Gibbs has won more championships than Roger Penske. And I love the captain. I think the captain is amazing for any race that, racing sport that he is involved in. But I would put Joe Gibbs in over Roger Penske. I would, too. Listen, I agree with you. He won four, Joe Gibbs has won four championships. Roger Penske's got one. Uh, you know, and um, it, it depends how much you value the Daytona 500. Joe Gibbs has two. Roger Penske, um, uh, he's got one, I think, with Logano. You know, so, but Newman. you're right. I mean, Gibbs uh, and Newman, too, right. He's got a couple there. Um, but, you know, when you think about, oh, yeah, one with Newman. What am I thinking? But when you think about, um, you know, how even Gibbs in the second half of his NASCAR career, where he's really uh, was a third Chevrolet team and really has taken Toyota to a uh, the next level. Um, I think that's that's even something that um, you know Roger Penske's been with established automakers in his in his NASCAR life. You know he's flipped around a lot. Rusty started off as a Pontiac, then they were a Ford, then they became Dodge, and now they're back with Ford. Um, so they've they've moved around a lot, but. You know, Toyota was nothing before before Joe Gibbs got there, and he's really taken that. I know they, they got a lot of money and a lot of financial support from Toyota, but uh, Joe Gibbs and that organization was a bit, is a big reason why Toyota is where it is today, why they're in the sport, why they're so successful, why the 78 car is where it is today. Uh, it's all because of Joe Gibbs Racing. And, you know, I it's interesting that Penske and over – Joe Gibbs, I do think I do agree with you. I think his open wheel prowess has a little bit more to do with um, with the election this week, this year. But again, you know, I don't think Roger Penske doesn't belong in. I agree with you. I think Roger Penske belongs in. It's just the fact that who he's over in front of, uh, and Joe Gibbs is going to get in. There's no doubt about it. All these, you know, there's so many people we can throw in here who belong in, um, especially with, with uh, how the bar is being set. There's so many people that belong in that Roger Penske is going to get in. Joe Gibbs is going to get in. Um, but it's, it's just a matter of time. But I do agree with you. That was a little bit of a one where I was like, wow, they kind of, you know, um, Joe Gibbs kind of got shafted there a little bit. No doubt about it. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here. Next was Jack Roush, John. Um, here's a guy started in 88 with Mark Martin, became a two-car team, really was a, a guy who, and this is his legacy. A couple of things are his legacy. One is that he was a, a – and Hendrick gets a lot of this credit, but I think Jack Roush even more um, really built the multi-car operations, uh, really made him established. He had a six-car six car, six team at one time, um, several times in his career, actually. You know, now they're down to two, and they're struggling a lot lately, and that's kind of put a, an, a black eye on Roush Fenway Racing here. But Jack was also the first one to get – you know, I mentioned Fenway – the Fenway group to, to um, invest into his organization. He was the first one to think of that. Um, Jack's got a lot of, um, you know, innovations. He was a, he was fantastic, a fantastic eye of talent, gave Mark Martin a second shot in this sport when not a lot of people would do that. Uh, you know, 
got Jeff Burton in that 99 car, won a lot of races for him, went and got Matt Kenseth in that 17. He, Matt Kenseth has become a Hall of Famer. Uh, Greg Biffle was a great driver. He gave him a shot. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And uh, Jack Roush gets a lot of credit for all that. You know, I think people, even Carl Edwards, you know, Carl Edwards is a guy he saw him put in, in his cars, and Carl won a lot of races for him. Um, so this is a guy who I think a lot of people, because of what's happened in the last five years to this organization, just forget how strong Roush Fenner Racing was for a 15, 20-year period there. Um, and I hope to see him back. I really do. But I think Jack Roush absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame. Well, don't forget that uh, Jack Roush also was the first one to have Kyle and Kurt Busch in a vehicle. Uh, Kyle Busch actually ran a truck for Na- for Jack Roush, and then NASCAR, he was like 14 or 15, and NASCAR changed the rules to where Kyle Busch could not run full-time. So he waited until his 18th birthday, and Jack thought Kyle Busch was going to run for him since his brother Kurt was running at the Cup Series, and Kyle decided to sign with Hendrick Motorsports. But Kyle and Kurt Busch got their start with Jack Roush. What Jack Roush did with Ford, he, I mean, Jack, Jack Roush was an amazing sports car racer. He, uh, and the one thing it used to be a signature of teams is Jack used to tune the spark plugs. He used to check the plugs every time, make sure that the tuning was to his caliber. I think one of the things, and you've, you've heard it a few times, um, any, the interviews Jack Roush has done lately, he doesn't sound good. Jack sounds like he's going through some health problems and he's pushing 80. And that's the other thing with Roger Penske and Joe Gibbs. They're they're all pushing 80. And I think after last year where Robert Yates, they didn't get him in before he passed away. I think the hall of fame voters are looking at it as, okay, these boys are really up there and they're still contributing to the sport, but they're up there in age. Let's get them in before it might be too late. And I think Jack Roush is a Hall of Famer, but again, Joe Gibbs has more championships. Matt, Jack yep. Roush has two, one with Matt Kenseth in 03, one with Kurt Busch in 04, and Roush Fenway Racing, except for the two wins from Stenhouse last year, has pretty much been irrelevant since Carl Edwards and Matt Kenseth left five years ago. That's a good point, John. And And again, you know, if you look at the body of work of Joe Gibbs Racing and Rosh Fenway, I do think you got to give the nod to Joe Gibbs Racing. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see why they, they did that and where Gibbs finished on this list. Um, but I agree with you to, to that extent. Again, I don't think that it's not a knock on Penske or Rosh. I think they both belong in. It's just that it's kind of surprising that when you look at their wins, their championships, and compare them to Joe Gibbs, uh, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think Joe Gibbs – Certainly belongs in in front of those two guys, no doubt about it. Joe Next Gibbs was, was not. In, Gallo- Joe Gibbs, wait, Joe Gibbs was not in the top nine. Buddy wow. Baker, Herschel McGriff, Waddell Wilson. I'm sorry, the top eight. Buddy Baker, Herschel McGriff, and Waddell Wilson all finished ahead of Joe Gibbs. Yeah, and and uh, I don't know how that's possible. Um, so, I, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. You're right. Yeah, the next. Top vote getters are Buddy Baker, Herschel Griffin, Waddell Wilson. Herschel Griffin's an interesting guy. Um, Waddell Wilson's a good crew team. Uh, but, you know, there's still two nominees to get to before we get to that. Um, next on the list is Davey Allison. Uh, he was next. Davey, uh, 19 wins and 191 starts. We all know his untimely death in July 1993 when um, 
He was flying a helicopter at Talladega Super Speedway to go see Neil Bonnet's kid test an ARC car, uh, crashed his helicopter, and they later passed away due to his injuries. Um, in the middle of his career, nearly won the 1992 championship, won the 1992 Daytona 500, uh, battled through that 92 season. It was such a, a season of how tough and how gritty Davey Allison really was. He had so many injuries, so many bad wrecks. You point to the Pocono flip. Uh, when he made contact, him and Darrell Waltrip made contact. Uh, you have the the accident in the in the Winston in '92, the first one at night with him and Kyle Petty crashing the start finish line after the race. Davey was severely was injured, very good in both of them. Went out and won North Wilkesboro with broken ribs in '92. Uh, that team, when Larry Mack got there, just when he was the finishing touch on that team, being a real real force for a long time, and everybody could see. And Davey was still great. I mean, he won a lot of races in the '80s. Won a lot of races in the, in the early 90s. Uh, 92 was, the se- was sort of their breakout season. Uh, 93, they struggled a little bit. You know, I think Larry McReynolds and that team had even admits that, that they got off to a sluggish start in 93. Um, and they were really trying to, starting to figure out some things uh, right before Davey passed. And then he passed, and that kind of obviously put a, a uh, you know, put a, a damper in that season and, that, and really in that team's uh, history. And I always say this, and, and you know, this – and this is, I'm not trying to, to insult Bill Jarrett here, but I believe this. If Davey Allison stayed alive, I think you would have seen Robert Yates Racing become the, the top four team, not Roush Fenway. You know, I always said it, was, it would become Yates Fenway Racing because that's how good Davey Allison was. He was on pace for a ton of wins. You know, Dale Earnhardt even said if he stayed alive, I might not have seven championships. Heck, I might not even have six. Um, and he was that good. And uh, the guy just knew how to drive a race car and, just taken way too soon and, and definitely belongs in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Um, you know, but it, it still saddens me in a way because you look at it and say, man, what could have been? Because he could have been uh, up there with, you know, with his father and, and, and Kelly Yarbrough and those guys and Jeff Gordon as some of the best ever lived, that's for sure. I think Davey Allison, unfortunately, what they do, they have to vote and look at the body of work that was completed. Unfortunately, Davey Allison's body of work that was not completed is probably three to four times more than what his body of work was. You're right. Dale Earnhardt does not have seven championships if Davey Allison does not crash his helicopter. Jeff Gordon does not have four championships if Davey Allison doesn't crash his helicopter. Davey Allison would have been, we would have been saying, well, if, whoever the 4% was that didn't vote for Davey Allison, they're the ones that are stupid. He was that good. I mean, you look, how many people go through their career and win 10% of the races? That's a huge number in this sport. You win 10% of your races, you are phenomenal. And Davey Allison did that. He won 19 and 191 starts. And he was set up to continue and grow. And, I mean, you have, I mean, you have uh, Doug Yates' engines, Robert Yates engines. You have Larry Mack running the show. They had a completely amazing pit crew. If Davey Allison does not wreck that helicopter, Ernie Irvin's still in the four car because Robert Yates did not. He was anti going two car team. So Ernie Irvin never comes to Robert Yates racing and he doesn't hit the wall at Michigan, which means Dale Jarrett never comes to Robert Yates racing and Dale Jarrett as good as he was winning his championship, he wasn't 
I mean, he had a few good years. Nothing spectacular. He had a lot of crap years. He had a few good years with Robert Yates. Dale Jarrett doesn't get to Robert Yates Racing. Davey Allison doesn't crash that helicopter. Yeah, and, and, and there's no doubt. I mean, go ahead. And I was going to say, and Davey Allison's the one we're talking about, not Jeff Gordon. We're not talking about Dale Earnhardt with it being seven-time. Um, we're Davey Allison would have been the future of the sport. And I'll tell you flat out, I was a huge Davey Allison fan. And I was lost. I had nobody I really pulled for. I mean, I stuck with the 28 car because I liked Robert Yates. I liked Larry Mack. I was okay with Ernie Irvin. Didn't really care that much. I mean, I was sort of lost between Davey Allison wrecking his, I mean, crashing his helicopter and Tony Stewart coming into the sport. That's how much I was devoted. I mean, I loved watching Davey Allison race a car. It was, it was a really sad day. And, again, as you look at that, and as great as his career was, you know, you just can't help but think about what might have been for sure. Last but not least on the list, Alan Kowicki, five Cooper Cup wins, 1992 champion, did it as an owner-driver. Uh, as just, It was an incredible, incredible accomplishment in 1992 to win the championship. Um, you know, to me, you look at his statistics and you say, a lot of people will say it's not that great. I mean, he finished 13th in the points to 1991, then found it in 1992 and won the championship. He had five wins. That's not a, it's not like a, a massive amount of wins. What really benefits Alan Kowicki is the fact that he won that championship as an owner-driver. Uh, you know, before, before that, Richard Petty was the last one to do it in 1979. So it hadn't been done in 14 years, and it hasn't been done since in the 26 years since, and it will never be done again. There's no doubt about that, unless you want to consider Tony Stewart, Tony Stewart, Stewart win, <laughs> winning one in, 20, in 2011, which to me is not the same as Alan Kowicki winning one, putting his, uh, you know, as 100% owner of that race team. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an interesting – I think it's interesting that he got in with Davey because Davey and him, they were so – that whole 93 year was such a – sad year you know Allen gets killed in in a plane accident in April and Davey dies in July um you know as the defending champion Allen gets get dies as you know he passes away as a defending champion so he never had a chance to defend that title never had a chance to see what might have been again it's it's sort of I'm more curious as to what Alan Kowicki's career would have panned out to be because we know what happened in this sport in the economic in the mid to late 90s and would Kowicki have been able to keep up would he have been able to uh, keep running as an owner and driver and keep winning races, you know, as the Rash Fenway Racing's got got four, five, six cars, as the Hendrick Motorsports got four cars, as Richard Childress Racing added the race team, as Robert Yates added the race team. Um, so it was very, it would have been very curious to see how Allen would have competed against these guys in the mid to late 90s. Uh, he was a great driver. Maybe the fact that he went out on his own really cost him a lot of wins in his career. You can argue that. I think you can definitely argue that. Well, if he was running for Junior Johnson or if he was running for a Richard Childress or if he was running for Junior Johnson, he would have, you know, won more races than what he did. Um, you could definitely argue that, but he had five wins in a championship, and I think that, that the fact that he did it as an owner-driver, you know, you can't what, – what I'm trying to say is if this was another person who had one championship and five wins, I'm not sure they get in the Hall of Fame. But the fact that it's Alan Kowicki and he did it with his own race team, 
that has a lot to do with why he was why he was inducted today. Well, I think Rob, Alan Kowicki doing his own race team, that's his own fault. Junior Johnson offered to bank, back up the Brinks truck to get Alan Kowicki to drive for him. And Alan Kowicki being as headstrong and, I mean, he actually rubbed a lot of people in the garage the wrong way. And Alan Kowicki stuck on his own. Him winning that championship in 92 was very impressive. The fact that he came back is because he was down for a while. But you looked at 92 season. Bill Elliott, Davey Allison, Alan Kowicki, all three of them had a chance to win the race. And, I mean, win the championship. Elliott wound up winning the race. If Davey Allison doesn't get caught in an accident, Davey Allison wins that championship. Alan Kowicki wound up finishing second, about four seconds off pace. And he won his championship. Here's where it rubs me the wrong way. I appreciate what Alan Kowicki did. And, again, you vote on the career that is, not the career that could have been. Alan Kowicki has five wins. Kevin Harvick has five wins this year. Alan Kowicki's career is five wins, one championship. Kevin Harvick, five wins this year. And Alan Kowicki gets in. Bobby Labonte has a lot of wins and a championship. Bobby Labonte won the first championship when Joe Gibbs was just still putting it together. They hadn't. They were just putting the second team in with Tony Stewart. Joe Gibbs, I mean, Joe Gibbs racing was good, but it wasn't good enough to keep Dale Jarrett because he left and went to went to Robert Yates, even though his brother-in-law was Jimmy Maycar's crew chief. Joe Gibbs was in his infant stages when Bobby Labonte won the championship. Bobby Labonte should be in before Alan Kowicki. And I appreciate what Alan Kowicki did for the sport. The owner-driver thing, the underbird, that's great. It was just a the perfect storm that got Alan Kowicki the championship in 92. But as I said, Alan well, Kowicki I mean, has five wins in his career. Kevin Harvick has five wins this year. That is not Hall of Fame material in my book. It's, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from with that. Again, I think the fact that you look at it and you say, well, the equipment he was in, and you're right, he had an opportunity to go for other race teams, um, but he stuck with it and he won races with his own race team, won a championship with his own race team. I think that's got a lot to do with what he was getting in. How about the next vote-getters? Uh, Buddy Baker, Herschel McGriff, and Waddell Wilson. If you don't know who these gentlemen are, Buddy Baker won a lot of races, uh, 18, I believe, in his career, um, and was a broadcaster at the end of his career and was a good broadcaster on CBS. Uh, Herschel McGriff still racing. He ran a k West race a couple of weeks ago at the age of 89 nine, or 90 years old, I think he is, uh, which is awesome to see. Um, won a lot of races in NASCAR's Western Division back in the 60s and 70s. And Waddell Wilson was a great crew chief, won a bunch of Daytona 500s, won a lot of races, uh, won a couple championships. You know, he definitely belongs in. So, um, you know, all these guys, you know, when you look at, um, you know, the rest of the inductees, Red Farmer, Ray Fox, Harry Gant, you mentioned Joe Gibbs earlier, John Holman, uh, Harry Hyde, Bobby Labonte is another guy you mentioned, Ralph Moody, they all belong in, Larry Phillips, great driver, um, Ricky Rudd, Kirk Shelmerdine, Mike Stefanik, and Waldo Wilson were the rest of the nominees. Um, you know, 
I think they all belong in it at one point in their career, you know, one point here. Um, but here's my thing. This is uh, this is one thing I want to get out of the way, and I'm not trying to trash the NASCAR Hall of Fame because I think it's a great thing. That I think what they're trying to do uh, to bring the history to sport is great. But the fact that the fans have a vote in this is ridiculous, and here's why. When you look at the fan vote of this, the top five fan go, the, the fan votes. The top five guys were Davey Allison, Buddy Baker, Harry Gantz, Jeff Gordon, and Alan Kowicki. All drivers. You know, fans have a hard time. That's who we root for as a fan. We root for the driver. We don't root for the crew chief. Very rarely do you see a fan rooting for a team. They're out there, people who do that. But mostly we root for the driver. So, of course, you're gonna, they're going to root. For, they're going to vote for the drivers. And I think it's something as, as uh, you know, as prestigious as the Hall of Fame is. And something that's important as the Hall of Fame to let the fans even have one vote or a percentage of the vote, I think is outrageous. So, you know, no offense to Kirk Shelmerdine, but I don't think the fans are going to vote Kirk Shelmerdine in over Harry Gant because Harry Gant was a hero to them. Kirk Shelmerdine was more behind the scenes, you know, and I think that hurts them there. Now, obviously, it's not that much of an impact on the Hall of Fame vote, but that's what I want to think of. I just don't think the fans, I know they try and do it to generate interest. But I just don't think the fans should have a vote in this whole thing. Well, I, I, on the other side of the fence with you, Clayton, I think the fans deserve a vote. The fans have supported this sport. You and I are fans first before we are um, podcast hosts or writers for uh, racing magazines. We've been fans first. How did we get to know the sport? Because we're fans. There are some writers who just come in because – they got bumped off the city beat, and congratulations, you're doing NASCAR, and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. You've seen some of the broadcasters who have no clue what's going on. Claire B. Lang, if she voted, there would be, like, rainbows and butterflies because she can't form a complete question without going, how do you feel? There's nothing. I mean, you and I are as informed as the other 63 because we do our homework. And I think the 63 voters in there do their homework. Where my problem is, and I don't mind the five votes that the people, the five people that the um, fans voted in. There, I, I look at it, car owners should have their own separate category. Crew chiefs should have their own separate category. Non-cup series should have their own little wing. You shouldn't have Bobby Labonte competing against Mike Stefanik, competing against Joe Gibbs, competing against Ray Red Farmer. It's all different. When you go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, you do not see Crash Davis in there, even though he led the has the all-time minor league home run record. Crash Davis is not in the Hall of Fame. Now, that's the Bull Durham reference. It isn't the actual guy, but you don't understand what I'm going at. Mike Stefanik was phenomenal in modifieds. He won, what, 13 championships. But he has no business being in the NASCAR Hall of Fame because he never made it to the show. And when he got to the show, what did he run? 20 races? He wasn't that good. I think drivers should have their own category the same way they do in the NFL. The owners have their own contributor category, and that's where they vote commissioner or coach or something like that. It should be like that. Drivers would get three, owners get one, crew chief or other contributors get one. If they do that and go five, there should be no bitching about it. Uh, and it's interesting. You bring up a good point there. 
and, and what I said last year, and I think Ken Squire is greatest, one of the greatest all, uh, broadcasters of all time, but, uh, you know, the broadcasters wink. Vote one broadcaster every year or a, a certain percentage where if, you get, if a broadcaster gets 70% of the vote, they get into the broadcaster's wing of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I think it would be great get the broadcasters more recognition. Uh, you know, for example, a guy who was off the list this year who I think belongs on it, if Ken Squire's in the Hall of Fame, where's Barney Hall? Uh, you know, Barney Hall belongs in, too. He was great on MRN and helped, you know, really build this sport. Um, you know, and again, I think if we had a broadcaster's wing, Hall, Barney Hall would probably be in already. So you're doing these guys sort of a disservice with that. I agree with you to to an extent for sure on that. Um, and they, and they have these – Voting. They have the Squire Hall right. Award. They have the Ken Squire Barney Hall Award for the outstanding broadcaster who is recognized at the Hall of Fame. The one thing that does get me with this, you know how in Major League Baseball, and you see them go one at a time. NASCAR has it set up because they waited 50 years to open a Hall of Fame for their sport where they're pumping five in a year. In Major League Baseball, it's 75% to get in the Hall of Fame. If you look at the voting today, the only one who would get in is Jeff Gordon. Jack Roush at 70, Roger Penske 68, Davey Allison 63, Alan Kowicki 46. I look at it, if you don't make 50% of the ballots who are determining who's Hall of Famers, if you're not on half the ballots, I'm sorry, you're not a Hall of Famer. If you're not on three quarters of the ballots, you're not a Hall of Famer. If you look at that group, Jeff Gordon, you can define an era of NASCAR and put Jeff Gordon's name on it. Jack Roush and Roger Penske, again, I would put them in the owner's wing and separate them from this. When Davey Allison was running, Davey Allison was in the conversation as the best drivers in his era before he died. Alan Kowicki never was. Buddy Baker was great on speedways. He was never in the conversation of being one of the best drivers in his generation. And you look at the rest of them. Harry Gant, he had one phenomenal September, and he was mediocre the rest of the way. I mean, you look, some of the people on this list that's still to go, Ray Fox, Harry Hyde, unbelievable crew chiefs. Waddell Wilson, probably the best engine builder ever in the sport before Robert Yates. Kirk Shelmerdine, you know what kills him? He won three cup championships the same way Ray Everham did. Ray Everham was on TV. Kirk Shelmerdine, they didn't really cover it that much whenever he was the crew chief on Dale Earnhardt's car. And as Chocolate said earlier, you and I were talking about before the show, a monkey could have been on that box and Dale Earnhardt was going to win a championship. What hurt Kirk Shelmerdine's, also Kirk Shelmerdine's uh, chances at the Hall of Fame Whenever he walked away from being Dale Earnhardt's crew chief, what did he do? He tried to be an owner-driver. And he was one of the biggest starting parkers in the history of the sport whenever they were in the starting park era. And he hurt his cause. I mean, he's a three-time cup champion crew chief. But what was he at the end of his career? What he remembered for? A starting park guy. That shouldn't hurt his credentials, though. You know, I, I just think what's hurting Bobby Labonte? What is hurting well, what Bobby, Bobby Labonte's credentials? He's hurting well, Bobby because Bobby Labonte is different because you're staying as a driver, though. Mm-hmm. You're keeping your media. I mean, I mean, it didn't hurt Richard Petty at all. Richard Petty went what a decade with with being really, really subpar and mediocre. And Kirk Shemardine was. We're not talking about a guy who was just an average crew chief. 
he was the top echelon. Won three, like I said, three championships uh, and a ton of races with Dale Earnhardt. So I understand where you're coming from, but I don't think what he did as a driver has anything to do with what he did as a crew chief. And that's where I think you look at it. And, and it's a good point because I think, you know, when you start to – when people start to mesh the two together, what Buddy Baker, for example, or Benny Parsons, when Benny Parsons got voted in, they said, well, he's a driver and a broadcaster. Um, you know, so pick they one. mesh two mediums together, right? It's almost like pick one or pick both and let them go in there both. Um, I, I understand where you're coming from because people have done that, and that has been a credential. But to me – it shouldn't devalue what Kirk Shemardine was. He's a great crew chief. I think he's going to get into um, to the NASCAR Hall of Fame for sure. And, and this is a debate that can go on all day about um, you know who, why, who belongs in before who and why. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think all these guys, like I mentioned, all these guys are absolutely deserving to get into the Hall of Fame. And it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens when we get to a time where, like you said, it'll be interesting to see what NASCAR does when we get to a time where some of these guys aren't maybe Hall of Famers <laughs> or some of these drivers and, and people aren't Hall of Famers to see how they do it because you're going to put five in every year. You're going to have to come up with a solution, and then you're going to sit there and get to a situation where, let's say, like you said, it's 75% of the vote, and Alan Kowicki got in one year at 46% of the vote before we had this. So you kind of scratch your head going, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do when they get to that point. Um, but I, I think we're, we're at least five to ten years away from that, for sure. One, thing, seven, it scares, eight, eight, one thing it scares me, Clayton, before go we ahead. go forward, we we're talking about the Hall of Fame. Believe it or not, some idiot wrote an article this week asking, is Danica Patrick Hall of Fame worthy? They keep watering down the Hall of Fame like they're doing. Danica could be in the Hall of Fame in ten years because she won the poll for a Daytona 500. That's how oh, watered down this is going to be unless they do it. She'll get in because she's a. It's a popularity contest. I mean, she's going to get in. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And it's scary it, you know, that that's going to happen. In, but yeah, she's going to get in because it's just the fact that she's a female and one of the one of the she paved the way for female drivers, etc. That's what their their argument's going to be. Um, but when you look at the statistics and you look at what she did, you know. The fact – this is a fact that's still true, and it still blows my mind with what kind of equipment she was in. Janet Guthrie is the the highest finisher in points for a female racer in 23rd because Danica never did better than that. So when you look at that, you go, man, that's kind of crazy that Danica had five years in really, really good equipment and couldn't get better than 23rd. Uh, and Janet Guthrie never even came close to the shot that – Danica Patrick had, and you know, the reason why she'll get in is because of what she did off the racetrack, and that's a whole other conversation for another day, uh, where she paved it, paved the way was a marketing machine and yada yada yada. But you know, I don't think she belongs in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Um, maybe a female down the line who wins a lot, and I'm not saying women can't drive because I do think there's women out there who could drive, um, but I don't think it was. I think Danica Patrick was a very overrated driver. When she was here, and uh, you know, to me, finishing 24th five years in a row, you know, if you don't finish better than 24th in points in your career, you don't belong in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I don't care what you did off the racetrack, uh, and you know, we'll see how. I think her legacy is still out there for five, ten years down the road. If we get a lot more females in this sport, um, you know, and there's an argument that, well, my daughter's racing because of Danica Patrick. 
Um, that's fine. I understand that. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's it should be a, a fact of people performing at the highest level. And she, well, she didn't perform at the highest level. Uh, that is for sure, at least in NASCAR. Uh, you can make your argument about IndyCar all you want. It's a completely different medium. She does fine in Indianapolis. She does fine in Indianapolis. Everywhere else, she struggles. Uh, she'll probably run pretty good this weekend in the Indianapolis 500. Doubt she wins it, but she'll probably run pretty good. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Another thing that kind of got people's attention this week, John, was a tweet by Rob Kaufman, the head of the Race Team Alliance, the RTA, uh, which is basically a union uh, with fancier words tied to it. Um, you know. It was announced earlier in the week there were supposed to be 41 entries. Now that there's now 40 entries. Um, Rick Ware Racing's second entry, the number 52, has withdrawn from the event as, as, as recent as a couple of hours ago and will no longer have a 41-car field. We will have 40 cars for 40 spots in the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte coming up this week. But uh, a, a new team was announced this week to run a, few, a handful of races here and there. It's called New York Racing Team. John Cohen, who uh, was the owner of the Extreme Team Extreme Racing a few years back, you know, caught a lot of notoriety when his hauler and his race car were stolen a few years back. Number 44, if you remember them, they announced they're coming, basically coming back with a rebranded number seven Chevrolet. J.J. Yelly is the sponsor. J.J. Yelly is the driver, excuse me. Um, they have a sponsor from a, a New York steakhouse on board that car this weekend at Charlotte. So that's the background of it. Uh, that was announced on Twitter. Rob Kaufman, the head of the RTA, uh, retweets it and basically says that he, in, in so many words, it devalues the sport to have 41 cars and one car going home and some open teams. Uh, a lot of people were furious about it. You know, Kaufman is a businessman. He's in here to make money. Uh, I don't think there's any other reason why Rob Kaufman's in this sport. You can say, well, he likes racing. I think he's in here for one thing, and it's to make money. And he's been called an idiot and stupid. I don't think he's an idiot and stupid. I just think he's a businessman, looking at it from a businessman's point of view. And there's two different things. You and I, I think, John, we consider ourselves racers. I think a lot, most of the generation, most of the race fans out there consider themselves racers. Rob Kaufman's not. He's a businessman out there to make money. So to look at it from a businessman's point of view is a lot different. Um, but what are your thoughts about this, about the RTA and the chartering system in NASCAR so far uh, while we're on this subject? Well, I think Rob Kaufman um, probably said what a lot of other big owners thought. Um, as the chairman of the Race Team Alliance, that's not something I would put out. Probably stuck his foot in his mouth, but he probably said what a lot of people thought. The guy who's putting this Team New York Racing together already screwed it up once with his Team Extreme. He was in financial jeopardy at that time. Yeah, his truck and trailer were stolen from the hotel in Atlanta. Maybe it was stolen. Maybe it was repossessed. Because that's how financially unsolved, unsolved, I mean, that team was not financially solvent at the time. It might have been repossessed and, de and declared as a stolen thing because once it went away, we never heard of them again. You've never heard of that 44 Team Extreme team after that tr truck and car disappeared. Now they're back. They're going to run the Coke 600 with J.J. Yaley. 
And I understand J.J. Yaley. He still wants, he still wants to drive in the big time. He's going to drive a crap car. Yeah, I mean, so what? It's us. It's either the team number seven or the 52 of Rick Ware, which is a second car, which you know is going to be two seconds behind the leader every lap once they get running. You either go full bore and just say, okay, the 36 charters run. Thanks for playing. Nobody else can play. It's nice that they give the four open ones, but they don't make near as much money. Or you open it up and say, nobody has charters. NASCAR will split the purse better because the owners have to manage their own thing. I actually think they should franchise them like Major League Baseball or the NFL does or any of the other, any of the other stick and ball sports. The owners of the organizations own the league. This is different. All auto, motorsports are different for some reason. I don't know why, but motorsports are different. The owners do not own the league. The league owns the league. And the participants are independent contractors, and they have nothing to show for it whenever their, car sh- whenever their thing shuts down. But to Rob Kaufman's point, and I'm looking at, I was reading the Yahoo article later, he's saying it devalues the sport. The 1994 Brickyard 400, the first time they ever ran in Indianapolis, 80 cars tried to qualify for the 43-car field. 8-0. The Daytona 500 earlier in 1994, 59 cars tried to make Tona 500. Now, granted, 10 of them were on the, had names on the entry list before they withdrew, so it still wound up at 49, but 59 were on the original entry list. Nobody failed to, dis- to qualify for the 500 this year. Nobody failed to qualify for the brick last year. I don't think the sport was devalued when 80 cars showed up trying to get into the inaugural Brickyard 400 or 49 cars tried to make the 43-car field at Daytona. I think one of the things we miss is the dual 150s meaning something. I miss that. Those two races used to be the best races of Speed Weeks. Because it was get in the race or pack up and go home. And it was phenomenal. And Brian Keselowski put a great tweet out when he says, I worked my ass off and made the Daytona 500 and I devalued the sport. And he put the picture of his brother pushing him across the finish line. That was a great story. Brian Keselowski was the story of that Daytona 500. There's no devaluing in that. But I understand Kaufman's point of view. There's 36 car owners who put a ton of money in it because they have a ton of money to put in. Or some of those car owners do. You get the people like the front rows who work their butts off and have gone from start and park to where they are multi-car team. And they're growing and doing better. How do you grow and get better unless you buy into Joe Gibbs or you buy into Richard Childress or you buy into... um, Roger Penske, it ain't happening, folks. The chance of putting your car in and becoming a team. You look, and the funny thing, Tommy Joe Martin's put out, the, I think, in there, Furniture Row Racing was a start and park at one point. When they were struggling, they were a start and park so they could get their stuff together. And they won the championship last year. So you can grow from nothing to becoming a championship team. Rob Kaufman, he negotiated this thing. 
Rob Kaufman didn't build a team from the ground up because he invested in Michael Waltrip after it was already built. Michael was basically bankrupt from the way he built it, but he built a solid organization. And when Kaufman came in, it the money behind it started going forward. And then the scandal happened. Napa pulled out, and Rob Kaufman said, "Okay, I'm going to take my money over to Ganassi." He didn't stick around to try to make the team better whenever they were struggling. He went to something that was already established. So Rob Kaufman isn't the guy I go to to find out who makes a team, what makes the sport valuable. He's just a money guy moving it from one place to another to try to make himself a buck. Yeah, and the, and I that's I, this is what bothers me. You know, he he tweets out about how other teams' franchises you can't you know uh, just enter a baseball league because you want to as a team, and um, you know you can't uh, yada. You know, if you want to be grassroots racer and, and get into and start your be a race team, start a race team. Go to the Xfinity Series, and a good point was made. I think it was Tommy Joe Martin's too. You know, we're running against Rosh Fenways and the uh, Chip Ganassi Racings of the world, and the and Penske Racings of the world, and the Xfinity Series too. So it's not like you know we can go out there to the Xfinity Series and do that as well. So absolutely, um, I think that's that's a valid point. Um, what I love and and. This is something that um, you know, and 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 a lot of people who listen to the show. If you listen to the show on a regular basis, know I, I'm not a huge open wheel fan, uh, open wheel racing fan. You know, I'll occasionally pay attention to Indianapolis, but I'll tell you what, I was paying attention to Bump Day this week at Indianapolis because it was the first time in five years or however many years they had Bump Day, and I was glued to my TV watching who was going to miss the Indianapolis 500, who was going to make the Indianapolis 500. Was James Hinchcliffe? going to make the Indianapolis 500, a guy who sat on the pole two years ago. Now he's 34th and not going to make the field. Um, I was glued to my TV, was attaining as can be. And we don't have that in NASCAR anymore. And uh, I understand it's a business, and these guys look at it as a business, but from a fan's perspective, we, we look at it as entertainment. And if the fans aren't entertained, they're going to turn off. They're going to go away. And Maybe that's part of the problem is the fans aren't entertained anymore, um, you know, and a lot of that has to, might have to do with the fact that the owners are reluctant to make rule changes. You know, NASCAR can't make a major arrow change without consulting the owners first, um, and it's got to be like a six-month heads up. Oh, by the way, we're going to make a major arrow change. So even if you love this package that we had in the all-star race, Last weekend, we won't be able to see that until probably next year implemented because the owners, with the agreement of the chartering system, have a rule in place that they can't they NASCAR can't make an, a major arrow change in the middle of the year in the season. So that right there makes you sit there and go, are they really looking out for the best interests of the sport, or are they looking out for themselves? And that's where unions get a little bit, to me, get a little bit where the fans get hurt from this. Um, you know, even the driver's council, I think the driver council looks out for the drivers. I think the, the team owners look out for the team owners. Um, and NASCAR's kind of got to be in the middle and look at the fans, so they're in a tough spot. But um, usually the fan loses out, and I think definitely we've lost out to a lot of entertainment um, because of the chartering system, and the owners are, are to blame for that, no doubt about it. 
the chartering system helps. I mean, you saw when Ricky Rudd sold his team off. Ricky Rudd put millions and millions of dollars of his hard-earned money in to build that team. And he didn't have the best sponsorship with Tide, but he wound up selling everything at pennies on the dollar. So in reality, Ricky Rudd lost everything and had very little to show for his many years as a cup team owner. So they're trying to build some sort of equity that whenever they, for example, when Roger Penske does decide, I've had enough, I want to go fishing, which Roger Penske doesn't do, but he said if he has enough and it's like, okay, I'm done racing, somebody can buy Roger Penske out or Roger can have something to pass down to his children. In the past, I mean, you look, when Robert Yates started, he was done and handed it over to Doug Yates, and Doug didn't have the sponsorship and the ability to get bring in sponsors like Robert did. And within a year, Yates Racing was gone, and there was nothing to show for it. Thankfully, they had a heck of an engine program, but there was nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. So I understand where they need the charters. The problem is... You look at the breakdown of the TV money, 65% to the tracks, 25% to the teams, 10% to NASCAR. So 75% of that billion-dollar contract is going into Bruton Smith's pocket, ISC's pocket, and Brian Francis' pocket, and 25% is being spread through 36 cars who have charters and a little bit of crumbs thrown into the four cars, two cars, three cars, however many trying to get into the show. They need to fix that for anything's going to work. Agreed. They have to fix the business model. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, you know, there there's no doubt the business model is broken. But my argument, and you bring up a good point, the Ricky Rudd thing is a very good point. But, you know, let's look at a charter right now. You really think charters are going for a whole lot of money? I don't think they are, you know, because I think part of the problem is when you get into the sport, it's going to take a lot of money not to only buy the charters, but to build your race team. And then you're not going to be competitive for a while, so it's hard to sell sponsorship. And those bottom charters that are going to be available aren't really worth all that much money. So, you know, and then you can say, well, let's get rid of six of them. Okay, well, you're shrinking your field even more, and now you're sitting there going, okay, how many – are we just going to keep shrinking the field until there's, what, 15 cars left? I, mean, I watched the Canaan East race last week, and there were 16 cars in a race, and I'm going, what are we even doing? Why? Why are we even running this race with 16 cars in it? You know, I don't want to get cut to that point. Um, so – there's a lot to do with it. There's a lot to go on with that. But, um, you know, we'll see what the future holds with the chartering system. I'm sure there's going to be some, some major uh, modifications to it as the years go on. I want to thank everybody listening to Talking in Circles. We'll be back here uh, next time. We'll see you next time. Good night.